Just those simple pleasures. You know, it doesn't need to be an exotic trip, just, you know, face-to-face -face connection with friends and family and being able to make those plans and, and do more of that. Perspective is everything. And something that seems like it's going to tear everything down only feels that way until that moment has gone. Welcome to Work Inspired, a podcast where leaders in business, commercial real estate, technology and design come together to discuss change, challenge and opportunity in today's professional world. This show is powered by BOS, a leader in commercial interiors. The team of workplace experts at BOS is equipped and ready to help you navigate the path to your next workspace. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out in your career, you're gonna learn something new today. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and get ready to work inspired. Today's episode, we've got two very special guests, co-founders of Full Circle Brands, Heather Kaufman and Tal Chataya are here to talk about innovation, sustainability, and managing change. Let's dive right in. Work Inspired starts right now. Heather Tail, thank you so much for being here today. So excited to talk about Full Circle Brands and everything that you guys are doing. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for Thanks having for us. Yeah. So, so let's start. Let's start, ladies first. Heather, tell me your professional story, or maybe there's a little. I'm sure there's a little bit of overlap, especially especially towards the Full Circle part. But uh, tell me about your background. How did you get to where you're at today? Um, so I have, I guess, kind of a non-conventional entry into, into what we do. Um, you know, I actually originally started, um, with an economics major working in public policy for the federal government. Um, and I was focused on China and I really loved the part of my job that was going to China and learning about the culture and, and global economy and international trade was fascinating, um, but I really felt being in the, the federal government was not the right place for me. So I quit and I moved to China and then, um, Tal and I had previously been friends. We had met through a mutual friend. Um, and I was like, oh, there's this really great guy that I know. And, and we linked up and we just kind of started talking about you know, his background, which he'll get more into in, in, in product and my passion for sustainability. It's always been a big part of who I am ever since I was a kid. I just kind of felt a personal responsibility to take care of the earth. And we really kind of, you know, connected in the way we thought about, you know, what consumers should expect out of brands and products and a different way to approach how, you know, the things you use every day could be made and, you know, kind of made a big pivot in my career there and um, moved, you know, we started this brand together and really had to learn everything from the ground up and, you know, creating a brand and a website and designing product and, you know, had some expertise in, in manufacturing and, um, you know, setting up distribution. And so, um, you know, really wasn't, uh, you know, working, I would say, towards this in a traditional way, but sort of, I think, found uh, my calling in terms of taking, you know, the combination of, um, you know, really loving beautiful design and sustainability and, and bringing that to market and being very fortunate to do that with uh, my best friend here. So that's awesome. You know, we in our industry, so you guys mostly create products for the home. Our business is more uh, products for the working environment and the commercial space. Um, but two, two very important pieces that you just said, design, uh, beautiful design and sustainability are, are, are key, key talking points in our industry. 
design has been for a long time, but sustainability more so today than I've ever seen it. Um, and so I'm interested, you said you lived in China uh, and had some time over there. Did your experience in China have anything to do with your passion for sustainability? I know it's, it's an important topic here in the United States and there's a lot of work to do around sustainability, but how, what's the kind of the culture of sustainability in China like? Yeah, I think, you know, in different places you go, it's sort of interpreted a different way. I think in the U.S., we sort of live in a culture of consumerism and, um, you know, just more and and just this culture of abundance. Um, and we're okay with waste in a way that a lot of places in the world are, are not. I think there's other places in the world where it's really just ingrained in their daily lives to only take what you need and only use what you need and, and not creating additional waste. And whether that motivation is for sustainability, I think there's just sort of an, an ingrained idea of, um, you know, thinking about the people around you and um, everybody sort of having sort of a, a, a common goal um, mm -hmm. and, and working towards a more sustainable lifestyle and sustainability could means, you know, for the future, like making it sure. last for the future. So it's not necessarily just about the earth. It's about like allocation of scarce resources. Right. Mm. And so yeah. some people are doing that for financial incentives, but I think it's really fascinating and, and inspiring to see how in other parts of the world, it's ingrained in everything they do is mm -hmm. to really make the most of the smallest amount of resources. Um, and that's actually what brought me to China. My focus at commerce was on environmental technologies um, and so there was actually a lot happening in the market. Um, and obviously they have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. Um, but I think the interpretation of it in different parts of the world is really interesting. Yeah, definitely. The drivers behind sustainable practices. I, I think that's really interesting. Tail, how about you? What's your professional story? So, um, similar, you know, I mean, Heather covered a lot of our, our overlap. Um, I, I was born and raised in, in, in Taiwan, actually, um, which provided kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a different perspective, I guess, on, on, on the manufacturing world, as well as, um, you know, sort of up and coming economy at the time. I came to the United States to study and then I went and worked um, for another entrepreneur, actually, in the very beginning, and then decided to actually move to China. Um, after meeting Heather, uh, before knowing that she was going to move there as well. And, um, you know, I, I was focused in product, uh, product supply chain, uh, manufacturing for CPG companies um, around the world. Um, and for, for myself, you know, living in China, um, you know, speaking the language, seeing the capabilities that were being sort of unveiled at the time. This is post... Um, Post the uh, economic sort of um, crash, everything's hard to put in perspective now after COVID. At the time, it was the right. biggest thing that it, that it happened in our lifetimes um, uh, for the economy. And you know, I think it was a time of change. And you know, I, I, myself and Heather, we were friends and knew each other in Shanghai. And um, you know, I think I, I I brought a unique sort of problem um over thanksgiving i think which was that we had this access to all these new technologies and these new materials um, that were sustainable or plastic alternatives and that none of our clients were really interested in learning about them adopting them um, because it was too much of a lift 
to educate their consumers. It was a little bit more expensive, maybe, even though it might be more durable. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think sustainability was kind of looked at as a niche fad, something that um, maybe the right brand could take advantage of and get in some market share. But real consumer products um, are all about price mm-hmm. and function and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think the combination of Heather's background, my own, um, and actually uh, my brothers who also uh, and, and, and another designer, actually, we all kind of sat down and. It kind of had this genesis that 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 um, led to Heather and myself, um, you know, starting the company and really saying, no, 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 that's not the future of consumer products. The future of consumer products has to incorporate design, function, you know, accessibility and sustainability. And you cannot be innovative uh, without considering sustainability. Mm. Um, and it was early. It was definitely a little bit early, um, which was good now in retrospect, but it was definitely a heavy lift at the time trying to educate um, whether retailers or consumers. So so are you seeing, so So Full Circle Brands is, and, I, and, and I'd rather you explain it than I do, but I feel like you just kind of gave a good leeway into it. It's, it's, it's products for the home that don't sacrifice function or design but also have a sustainable, uh, a sustainable sustainability at the core, so to speak. Is that yeah. right? Is that what makes you different? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's all about um, providing, you know, consumers an option that's better for the world and themselves, mm-hmm. both because the product works better, but also because it's better. It has, you know, a smaller impact on our environment, whether through where the materials from the product come from or where they go. Um, it's all about inspiring change. And, and you know, the big mission behind what we do is we're trying to change the expectation consumers have from the brands they buy from. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we set out when, when we, you know, started this business was saying, okay, no, you cannot expect. It's funny now to think back on, on the idealistic 20-year-old, you know, me and, and Heather, but it's, you know, you, you cannot wait for brands to change things. Um, you have to, sorry, you cannot wait for consumers to change behavior. You have to change things from the brands on down. You have mm-hmm. to be the one providing the alternative. Otherwise, things will never change. And, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I, I, it's interesting now because sustainable, sustainability is such a, a, a top, I don't even want to say trend because that seems... It's a generational shift. I mean, it yeah, really yeah. is. Yep. And 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 so the drivers we talked a little bit with Heather. Uh, the drivers for sustainability. Do you find it more future focused? Is it more of a health benefit? I mean, I just ordered a couple of your products, and part of the reason I ordered them was not so much to create less waste, but because of the materials that are used in them seem like they're better for my kids. You know, like what what do you find as kind of top top. Uh, buying behaviors or top needs of your customers, or is it a blend? Are you serving all the different kind of sides of the sustainability story with your, with your brands? I think that it probably started as, you know, when you see where did, you know, sustainability really kind of take hold in the household or just in, in different, you know, consumer industries, really organic foods, um, cleaning chemicals, body care and beauty. 
I think mm-hmm. the motivation was largely health and, mm-hmm. you know, less waste and impact was sort of the fringe benefit. Um, and I think that's still part of the equation for sure, because I think that there's an understanding now that brands that are authentically creating more sustainable goods and using more responsible materials. And really it's less about what they make, but how Mm -hmm. they make it being a certified B Corp. It's about Mm -hmm. how we do business incorporates everything from, you know, corporate governance and transparency to how we treat our employees and how we audit our factories and are vertically integrated in our supply chains and know everything about how every component of our product is sourced. Yes. What you get it's a very beautifully designed, sustainable product, but what you can feel good about putting your dollars towards is the company behind it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that in some sense, you you had that feeling when you purchased our products. I feel like these are made from safer materials. And there's a bit of, because it's the holistic story, it's coming from a company that's thinking about all of those aspects of it. Um, and I think that now, in addition to wanting to vote with your dollars and wanting to create a safer environment for your family, um, there is a a growing uh, portion of the population that does really want to reduce their footprint on the earth. Mm-hmm. I think between mm-hmm. um, you know carbon emissions and um, you know understanding the waste issue in the U.S. and landfills and and ocean plastic and all these things that are now you know really understood um, by you know, the mainstream consumer, if they don't necessarily like care and make their decisions on it, they at least have an understanding and awareness of it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there it, there are more and more people that are doing it purely for the sake of, you know, lower footprint, lower impact on the earth. And Tail, to your point, you had talked about early on the need and the difficulty in educating and, and oh. almost, you know, saying this is why we are needed, why this is important. Is that need lessening to some extent as the awareness grows and more stories come out about why this is so critical if we care about the future and future generations? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that barrier has, has, has been reduced. I mean, you know, I, when we first started, there was almost a, and there's a lot of trailblazers within each sort of consumer product category that have really done a lot to further that, but there was a perception that organic or natural or um, green, eco, whatever people wanted to call things as they came out, was you were sacrificing something, mm-hmm. right? And so you were trying to convince people that you care about the earth more than you care about the function of the product that you're buying. That's not the argument, right? That that's that's totally wrong. That that that's an easy choice on a day to day basis when you're taking care of your family. You're going to be like, well, obviously, I'm going to do what's best for my family with the dollars I have. No, that 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 perception is incorrect. That to to be sustainable is to then be worse. That's mm-hmm. the hump that took a lot to get over. You know, there's so many examples um, of of you know organic food is a great one, right? Mm-hmm. Today, I would argue that probably a lot of people think organics taste better than non-organics, right? Or that I mean, I use this as a bit of an extreme example, maybe, but you know, a Tesla is not exactly a sacrifice on speed or function or performance for a car. You know, there there are a lot of examples of of, of why um, us expanding our understanding of materials actually makes better product, mm-hmm. not products that sacrifice function. Or form mm-hmm. for that matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at furniture. Even you know, more expensive or more beautiful might 
be non-engineered, but natural, sustainable woods, for example. So, I mean, there, there's a ton of examples of, but, but, you know, 12 years ago, which doesn't seem that long ago, everything was so different in terms of, of perception when it came to, to a natural or sustainable product um, in any category, I think. So. Yeah. And I think what Heather talked about too, with the, with the being genuine about it, with it being part of the, the, the core culture of the business, I think is so important because I think the other thing, in addition to feeling like you're sacrificing something to have it be sustainable or, um, or good for the environment, I think there's another perception out there that's a lack of trust. You know, is this just a marketing gimmick? Is it just a ploy? Is it, is it real? Am I actually doing something you know, or is this just the label that was slapped on to get me to pay a little bit more to convince me to buy it over somebody else? So, you know, your products, I think, would be considered commodities if you look at them just in a general category. Right. But is that the differentiator? Is that is that is that the difference is that with your business and what your mission and your values are, is that you're starting kind of with the goal of sustainability and then you're not compromising those other things and you're creating products that are are just as good if not better than the alternatives but they're built around doing the right thing for well-being of our families and for the world is that is that right i mean i, I think that that's yeah i think that that's part of it um you know they're not commodities because even something as simple as a sponge which anybody can make right you're going to walk mm -hmm. into a store and you're going to see sponges made by different companies making you know, different claims. I think that there is part of it that is like the company and the brand behind mm -hmm. it and everything encompassing like what we do. Um, but also, you know, the, the tools that are designed, I definitely think that, you know, there's probably very few things that are considered true commodities because there's, I think definitely ways to, to innovate. Mm -hmm. Um, good design is, is something you experience. And I always, compare like the first time you use like a really great brush to clean your grout or something in your house is like the first time you use a really nice chef knife to chop vegetables. Like it makes a completely different, um, perception of like your user experience. And I think that, you know, we really think about, you know, it's user-centered design and we're always thinking about how to improve things. Um, and really kind of that whole story because you don't buy a dishbrush because it's sustainable. You need it, you buy it because you wash dishes. And we know right. that. We right. know that the customer's like walking down the aisle really fast and like, oh, that's beautiful. It's at a great price. And it's you know, it's gonna work really well. And it's got all these amazing features. And I feel really good about the company I'm buying it from. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that is not the the first decision making point for the consumer. And so we have to think about that and everything we create and everything we design. Um, and even something as simple as a sponge, you know, we really think about it as almost an entry point to a lifestyle. And I know that sounds like making a very grandiose statement about like a sponge or a humble dish brush, but like, we hope that the people that we're, you know, appealing to are the people who maybe have not taken that first step into buying more sustainable goods or thinking about the companies behind the products that they buy and that we mm -hmm. can be that entry point and then they can feel great about that and then take the next step and the next step. And so we really kind of think about that journey and everybody's on a different part of their path or sustainability journey or living a better life or whatever the types of improvements you're making. And, and we really, you know, our products, even though they can be considered just very simple everyday goods, that's why it's 
it's almost more important for those like everyday goods that you don't even necessarily think about to have that kind of impact on your life. Cause we want people to think more intently about the products that they buy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and talk to me a little bit more about that in the innovation piece, because I, I, like I said, I spent some time on your website. I think your branding's great. And I think part of it, like you said, is buying from a company you feel good about, but to your other point, if you're walking down the aisle and there's a bunch of this, you know, bunch of sponges on the rack, you might not know that brand yet. You know, you might not know the backstory or the sustainability impact. So from the, the, the packaging to the, the look, the feel of the product, uh, from the design, how, how do you decide how you're going to create a product? How do you decide what, what's the next one going to be? What's the innovation process look like? It's, it's interesting you say innovation process. I think this is like the code that so many companies are trying to crack is how to come up with a formula or a process mm. to like, uh, to repeat innovation. And it comes from so many places. I think to be, to come up with a, a you know, a new idea, I think one, you have to hone your sense of observation. I think you need to be taking inspiration from so many different places in the world. A lot of our most innovative products did not come from our industry. They brush um, and ceramic dish set that was inspired by like an old hot shaving kit that was in my father's barber shop. Um, we have a, a we started using this material called diatomaceous earth to absorb water in some of our bathroom products that uh, we discovered actually was is used. Um, I, weirdly discovered it in a horse barn and now you're seeing it in other housewares products. So a lot of, you know, innovation, I think sometimes that word has this like mystery attached to it and only mm-hmm. belongs with product people and marketing people and the creative types. But, um, you know, I think new ideas can come from anyone and anywhere and it has to be part of your DNA as a company. Mm-hmm. Everyone in our company is expected to innovate. Sometimes innovation is, iteration, right? Making mm. like a something better than it was before and continuing to do that. And innovation can happen in inventory planning and go to market and, you know, every part of our organization, when we're hiring, you know, new people in, I say, everyone's expected to be an entrepreneur here. You're expected to sort of own your part of the business. And I think when you foster an environment where people feel like their ideas are going to be heard and likely implemented, that really creates a culture and a motivation for everyone to bring innovative ideas to the table in every part of the organization. It doesn't have to sort of live only with people with like innovation in my title and sort of play in their own sandbox. It's expected of of everybody. And I think once people see um, everyone contributing to that process and it being implemented and making the whole organization better, it really kind of just becomes a, a flywheel. Yeah, I love I love those examples you gave of of product ideas coming from other industries or from outside of the the normal places that you might think they came, you know, that you might be looking. So that's pretty really cool. And and also I agree, innovation probably needs to start at the top, but if you create a culture of innovation and encourage it throughout all of your team, I think you're going to exponentially do more or come up with more ideas and also be willing to listen to them, right? Uh be be receptive and be willing to to take some risks. Have you guys, have you guys had some innovative ideas that didn't work out quite so well? I mean, how often are you guys, I see a lot of products behind you, uh, Heather, how many, how many times has a product created that then is said, ah, this doesn't really pass the, 
the, the, the full circle brand quality test? You definitely have to be okay with failure. You can't have a big ego and, and be innovative. You have to be okay with like, you know, the idea and somebody, sometimes you have a little, the seed of an idea and someone else can take it and run with it. And sometimes you take it almost all the way and then you realize it, it's just not going to cut it. So you can't have that sort of ego that, oh, well, I've already dumped all, all of this, you know, energy into it. It, it must go forward. Um, we really have gates it, speaking specifically about product. We have gates in our process where, um, everyone in the company weighs in, mm -hmm. everyone is involved in our, in our product development process. And everyone has the opportunity to say, that's a bad idea if mm -hmm. necessary. Um, and so we definitely have had some things that we maybe even thought were, you know, great ideas and, and launched and, and our customers told us. Um, but it happens sometimes you bring something up to a certain stage and then you realize it's not checking those boxes is we're really not solving a functional problem here, adding something to the market. There needs to be a reason for it to exist. Um, mm -hmm. it needs to be an improvement upon what's out there or, you know, markedly more sustainable than any other option or helping, you know, the customer change a behavior to a more sustainable lifestyle. And if it really doesn't check all those boxes, we're, we're not going to launch it. Sure. Um, and we've had things that we've, we've definitely, um, you know, dumped in the past because it didn't pass the test. Well, I, I, always, think I always wanted to put a wall of shame and, um, <laughs> Heather hates it, but it's just like the, the cool ideas that you sometimes personally fall in love with that just end up not, not making it. But I will say we get a lot better with time. That's for sure. Well, and I think that that's important too, is those, those, the wall of shame products were probably the ones that inspired or bettered the the products that are behind Heather, right? The, those are, those are the lessons learned. Although I will say, or I'd like to add, I mean, for a company that's small, that's growing, that's not one of the major corporations of America or the United States government, you know, to Heather's back, past, um, innovation's probably a little harder, right? To take risks without a lot to fall back on if they fail. How did you how did you handle that, especially early on when we were when you're starting out? How did you take the right how did you make the right de decisions and, and take calculated risks, knowing that if it didn't work out, you'd, you know, you, there wasn't a lot of room for retreating? Interesting. I actually think about it the opposite way. Um, I think in our earlier days, there's a sense of this has to work. And it's not necessarily that you're taking bigger risks, I think that you're, you have more motivation to do everything you can, everything you need to do to figure out what is going to make you successful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that drive is something that perhaps as you grow and become more successful, you can become a little bit complacent. So I think it's mm. super important to like, hold on to those, those roots of um, you know, having that, that drive, that ambition, um, to really do everything you can to make sure you're launching the right product to the right customer and, and, you know, do, you know, serving and supporting them ongoing on their journey. Because I think, uh, you know, if you become very successful and a little complacent, there's going to be someone smaller, more innovative coming right up behind you. More mobile. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think that's why it's so important that when you say we encourage everyone at an organization to be an entrepreneur, we try to instill a culture of innovation. Uh, it's easy to say that. I mean, I think a lot of companies probably say that, but to try to maintain that urgency, that the need to succeed that you have when you first start your business, 
I think that's really, really important. It's probably how companies that continue to experience exponential growth are doing it. That's probably one of the key ingredients for success. Uh, Tail, you had talked about the financial crisis, um, and we all have just gone through two years of pandemic. So, so two periods of great change and challenge. Talk a little bit about how you managed your, your business throughout something like COVID-19. How did you stay the course? How did you learn from the hurdles that we faced? What was it like at Full Circle Brands over the last couple of years? Yeah, well, it has it certainly hasn't been the most relaxing couple of years. Um, you know, it, it's been it's been it's uh, it's been a roller coaster. Um, you know, especially being in New York City in the very beginning, the fear was just you know just so damaging um, on a personal level for all of our employees. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. between being either stuck in Manhattan or Queens or Brooklyn or wherever people were. You know the fear over trains and any kind of travel outside in a very um, you know populated you know area of the country. I think really the very beginning the focus was on our organization, our team. It was really about saying, okay, what's what's going to happen to everybody, right? How is everybody going to feel about what's happening? You know, in in in, the, in a sense of saying, okay, we don't know what's going to happen, right? We didn't know mm -hmm. if business was going to completely just collapse. That you know, some of our major retailers were closing, um, refusing orders that they had you know placed, um, and you didn't know what was coming. We sort of made a, a decision very early on, I think in the first couple of weeks, was that um, we weren't going to let anybody go. Not in the beginning, not out of fear, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, if things got to a point that we had to, um, you know, we would have come to that, 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 that point, we, we decided that we weren't out of fear going to protect, you know, um, the bottom line, um, and, and, you know, do something that we would never, you know, feel good about or forgive ourselves for. So, you know, we stuck to that. Um, and then we tried to really, you know, I think it's, it, this is a, you know, in the very beginning it was really a people issue. Mm -hmm. It was about meeting our employees, our team where they were, everybody had a different level of um, insecurity or fear or, you know, whatever it might be. And it was about trying to stabilize our, our work environment. You know, obviously we, we started to work from home. It was about being a source of information. You know, some people were really, you know, in tune with what was going on and others weren't. And, you know, kind of, we, we had, we set up, you know, weekly meetings where we, you know, sort of dove into the situation in New York city outside of what we do for a living, but just around, you know, us as a community about how things were going and, you know, where resources could be found and what people could do. Uh, if they didn't feel comfortable, for example, you know, like leave the city, for example, and, and all, you know, everything went out the window, all, you know, in terms of how, how our work environment existed before. Um, you know, if we were in cleaning and as, as, as probably most people know, I, I, you know, the beginning of the pandemic was not, ended up not being bad for, for cleaning because right. everybody was at home desperately looking to, to clean their houses nonstop. So, you know, we did end up, um, with, you know, almost a, a boost uh, through through the beginning part of COVID. Um, 
But, you know, for us, it was, you know, a lot of it was adapting quickly, as quickly as we could to sort of the unknown, um, being okay with people making suggestions um, for what worked best for them and trying to just meet everybody where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's cool. And, and, to, and today, I mean, we still are, well, I think we're, we're learning to live with the pandemic that we're fortunate, oh. at least for now, that the variants seem less severe. So I think that's been a big part in alleviating the fear, but we're still faced with a lot of challenge, right? Logistics, supply chain, global instability, climate change. I mean, you name it. There's, there's, there's plenty to, to keep us up at night. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And, 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 and so what I think you, I think you're, you're completely right that in the beginning, the, the uncertainty was the biggest factor and how quickly everything was changing and how, and that communication was key and, 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 and really being people focused was, was so important. I applaud you for the decisions you made early on. Um, is, is that something that you're able to kind of take what you learned in 2020 and throughout 2021 and now given some of the challenges we're facing today and that we may be facing for who knows how long you're able to kind of build that into your leadership style and, and kind of, I don't want to say future proof, but take what we learned and apply it to being a better leader today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we did a couple things, you know, on an organizational level, what we've tried to to learn is to, is to be very flexible, right? Mm -hmm. We have a hybrid, a permanent hybrid work situation where we try to take the best of, of what the pandemic taught us about remote work and people's ability to really work from anywhere and also take the best of, you know, the pre COVID situation, which was, you know, creative, inspiring moments together um so Mm -hmm. we also have an office to meet in Mm -hmm. um you know on an organizational level that has has worked very well for us and and provides flexibility for future situations we've incorporated um eos an operating system um, that has allowed for a level of transparency that we didn't have before as an organization Mm -hmm. so you know allowing everybody to really know what's going on in the company, what everybody's roles and responsibilities are, where they sit with our, within the organization, easy access to data, um, and really have that, you know, and that's something that, you know, really we did start before COVID, but really fast-tracked uh, into in, into uh, sort of the new work world. You know, I, I think one of the, the, the major things, and, you know, we're not sort of in the post-COVID world, we're in the, I don't know, the second half, I don't know. Yeah. Always, every day is a different guess, but yeah. you know, it is to know, you know, it's both seeing, I mean, you know, and I, and I don't mean to so- sound callous about, about the situation uh, for everybody um, knowing the suffering that a lot of families went through, but, you know, part of, part of as an organization is seeing when, when things are so turbulent is, is, is knowing where, you know, your your business might suffer, but also knowing how your business can adapt, mm-hmm. not to take advantage of the situation, but to to be able to at least survive and thrive to a point um, through different behaviors, through you know uh, changing sort of preferences, um, and and to be there to 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 be able to see okay, well, this is how we're going to navigate our way through this. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can't sell at some of the existing places because they've been shut down. Well, how, how do we pivot more to grocery? How do we pivot more online to be able to to, to provide the access our consumers looking for at home? Yeah, a hundred percent. 
The agility piece is, is really important. I think that's what a lot of companies are. They were forced to change and now they've said, okay, well, some of these changes are good, right? And we need to, we need to be able to continue to do this. And when the next crisis hits, we need to be able to be able to change faster than we did before. So I, I think that's completely right. You talked about hybrid, the working, you know, your working environment's hybrid now. As an interiors company, I'm interested to know what kind of work is being done when people come in uh, to, to meet in person. I know New York's a lot like Chicago and that we've had some pretty strict lockdowns, um, but opening back up now where people actually have the choice and they're not mandated to be out, you know, remote, what, what, what are, what's driving people into the office? Certainly, you know, communicating with departments that they don't usually see. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. one of the problems that we have um, with this with the remote environment is it's like meeting fatigue, right? And especially yeah. it's, it's meeting fatigue with the people that you work intimately with, I mean, that's the wrong word, but so closely with, right? It's, it's really yeah. like you, you see your teammates, whether it's your manager or, you know, um, your team, you know, multiple times a day. You mm -hmm. don't have that casual bump into um between pd a product development and say you know uh, finance or between operations and say sales you know you don't have that sharing of ideas or problems or you know sitting down i mean we're a physical product company there there mm -hmm. is it is very hard to wait for everybody to submit comments you know about their experience with the product versus all being in the same room touching it seeing what they like what they don't like what doesn't resonate you know how is this shade of you know gray off but just a little bit when compared to the ceramic white i mean there's so much that goes into physical product um that that involves being you know in a creative environment in a in-person environment touching feeling talking about it um and that's that's not just for you know product development or sales um, mm -hmm. or marketing. It, it also exists in problem solving for operations for finance. Um, being able to just to be in person um, and to have those 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 creative moments. And you know we 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 us along with others, we've tried to instill now. You know when you're in the office, you don't sit on Zoom. <laughs> Yeah. for the whole time you're in the office right because you find that people do that you, mm -hmm. you you actually like we're trying to like clear away um you know except for obviously urgent meetings but anything that that can't be done in person is not a, a something you do on you know, on mm -hmm. when you're in the office you only do things that you need to do in person in the office you kind of switch your brain a little bit are you encouraging people to all kind of come to the office on specific days so that you get that those accidental collisions where you know between people that don't normally connect with one another or is it more of a free-for-all and it's serendipitous if that happens no originally we did do we did sort of like a, a um, alternating uh, schedule mm -hmm. um, thinking that people would be more comfortable but actually it was it was it was sort of we, we tried to do a lot of feedback mm -hmm. um, loops with our with our team to see what kind of where everybody's at probably too many to be honest but we're always kind of asking them, what are they feeling? What are they feeling? And, and one of the major things was like, they're like, listen, I want to come into the office, but it doesn't make sense for me to come into the office if not everybody is there. Right. And it didn't mean like, you know, we have hybrid employees, people that go away for a month and they're working wherever they want. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, within reason to say, okay, if you're in the area, like this is Wednesday, like come, come to the office on Wednesday, you know, assuming you're comfortable and, um, and this is the day that everybody's going to be there. And that, that mm -hmm. way you do have those moments. So, 
So certainly that was definitely one of the biggest things for feedback was to say, like, I only want to be there really because everybody's there, not because I want to be like so silent while I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's consistent with what we're seeing too. If the six feet of separation and the physical distance thing is not critical that, and people feel safe when they're there, I think we've seen the same thing. It's people make the place. And if you're coming into the place and there's no people, then why are you in the place? Right. Exactly. So, um, exactly. so yeah, well said. All right, we're getting close to the end of the hour. Um, I want to ask you guys a couple personal questions. Uh, Heather, let's start with you. What's one thing you're looking forward to this year? Um, let's see. I mean, I think just being able to connect more with people at really simple things like mm -hmm. a company happy hour and dinner with friends that I took mm -hmm. for granted before just brings so much joy now. Um, mm -hmm. Especially eating out in a restaurant and not having to like clean up afterwards after, <laughs> you know, two years at home with three kids. Um, but the, just those simple pleasures, you know, it doesn't need to be an exotic trip, just, you know, face-to-face mm -hmm. -face connection with friends and family and being able to make those plans and, and do more of that, um, you know, with, with the people here that we work with and, and, you know, family and, and friends in the area as well. Cheers to that. Tail, how about you? Um, we got a company Yankees game coming up and that's, it's a Ooh. funny small thing that feels like kind of like a big milestone, you know, we used to do those all the time. Um, that's definitely something I'm really looking forward to. I think the, the holidays this year, too. I think this year, you know, the last two years have been tough for mm -hmm. a lot of people. It's been a lot of trying to figure out, you know, just on an employee level, too. Like, what, what are people looking for? And for mm -hmm. them, like, what am I looking for? You know, I've been stuck in whatever repeating, like, situation for the last two years. I think, you know, it's just kind of getting out of this weird sort of transitionary time and yeah. you know, just being kind of back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's odd how the last two years have seemed like it's been a forever period, but also uh, it's just gone by very quickly. It's the oh, God, time, yeah. time has become very confusing over the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Um, how about, how about a piece of advice you would give to your team if you were retiring today? I know you guys have a long a long road of success ahead of you. Uh, so this is an odd question, but if you were going to retire, what's a word of wisdom you would leave behind? I, I tell people all the time to trust their gut. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you know, when you're making like, you know, uh, critical business decisions, there's data that can inform you. But I think, you know, in our business, we've done so much on our, our intuition. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you are like observing and, and, and taking in different perspectives all the time, it, it sort of passively sort of feeds these decisions that you make in a way. And so you're not just making the decisions based on emotion, but if you're collecting all these experiences and all this feedback, I think that you actually, you know, if you're open to that and you're receiving it and you're listening, um, those gut decisions, those gut feelings that you have generally are coming from somewhere and, and you should, mm -hmm. you should trust them. I find a lot of times when people like have a, an intuition here that they should do something and they check with me like 99% of the time I, I agree and they're right. So I think it's just, um, everyone I think needs a little bit more like sort of confidence in their ability to like make decisions and that they know what they're doing and, and they can, they can move forward. That's great. Tail, how about you? 
Well, there's a lot of those. Um, I, I, I definitely think um, on the one hand, I think, you know, perspective is everything and something that seems like it's going to just tear everything down only feels that way until that moment has gone. And it, mm. it sometimes doesn't, you know, it, it, it sometimes doesn't matter what the result's going to be. It's about how you pick yourself up and you keep going because what seems massive like two years ago doesn't even seem like a big deal now. Right. And, and you made it through both things. So it's just, it's just about having perspective, being able to, to really just see the other side, um, see that you're going to come out. Um, and I think the other one is, 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 you know, I always feel more, you know, the older I get is just trust, trust the people that, that know, more than you do within your organization it's there's always it's about trusting the experts right and, mm -hmm. and there's an every person here is an expert at something and mm -hmm. you know i think that relying on each other and trusting the people that know more is really just you know is is such a comforting place to be that you you know you you know they have your back and they know probably more than you do about that specific subject so rely lean on the, that, the, those people it's really interesting the the three pieces of advice that you guys just gave the retrospect you know look at you know it's 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 tough in the moment but after after you get through it 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 seems like a, a distant memory you know and the perspective piece I think that is so true um, but so difficult sometimes to acknowledge in the moment of hardness right so, to be able to so. see through it and then what 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 you said Heather about trusting your gut combined with tail saying trust those with the experience. I think the combination of that is so, is so useful. You know, like I, I think that's why it's so important to have a mentor or to have find leaders that you trust because those, those moments where you disagree with them and then to have the experience where like you then get to the other side of it and you're like, oh, this is why they said that. You know, this is where that experience came into play and to fine tune your gut, you know, I think that that just makes you so much more effective down the road. So I think that's all. That's great advice. I appreciate that. And I want to finish with this last question. Hopefully it's easy because I think that there's probably many answers you could give. But if you were going to recommend a resource that has been helpful to you in your professional journey, whether it's a book or a podcast or a group, what would you recommend to others? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not doing a plug here for an organization, but you know, I, I think, you know, a business operating system like EOS for me, mm. that kind of resource, you know, committing to any kind of operating system, you know, EOS has been awesome for us. Traction is a great book that explains a lot about it. Um, you know, I think it's given us a lot of the tools that we needed to keep the organization informed, well-oiled mm -hmm. during a very turbulent time. So now I could give like, you know, there's a bunch of, great resources and Harvard Business Review articles and, you know, but I think honestly, that's been the most, from my perspective, the most mm -hmm. useful tool through all of this um, that has really helped. Mm. How about you, Heather? Um, I think 
particularly for entrepreneurs, but probably, you know, at anyone at a senior level of an organization is, is developing the right peer group around you mm-hmm. as a sounding board. I know Tal's really benefited from being part of entrepreneurs organization. I've recently joined Chief um, and in really just a sh- few short weeks, I've developed an incredible network of, of people mm-hmm. that I've already been leaning on and, and supporting them as well. So I think having that a peer network there you can, you know, share your business challenges and bounce ideas off of them. Someone outside of your organization that can really give you, um, you know, a, a different perspective, um, objective view has been, has been really helpful. And maybe those people will help inspire one of your future products, right? <laughs> right. Outside of your organization. Well, I appreciate all this insight, all the perspective. I think you're, you've got a great mission and uh, I'm excited to try out some of your products here when they arrive. Um, can't thank you both enough for the time you've committed to being on the show and for the uh, advice and inspiration you've shared. So thank you for being on Work Inspired. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to rate our show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Work Inspired podcast so that you don't miss any of the incredible guests we have planned for upcoming episodes. We'll continue to find the best and brightest minds in business so that you can learn, grow, and succeed, and so that we can all work inspired. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.